You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. Episode four of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast is back and we are live. Not, well, not live to, the, to you, the listener. We're live in the sense that this, we were living human beings and this actually took place. Right, yeah, no, yeah, point. yeah. I, I, when you listen to this, it will not, strictly speaking, be live, but I... I can guarantee you that as we record this at Ben Folks's house, yeah. that it is, in fact, we're, we are live. We, we are alive, and it is For live. all we know, though, by the time you listen to this, one or both of us may be dead. That could be. So, could be voices from beyond the grave that you are hearing, in which case, spooky, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I almost say, like, every time we come in, I... In, it's in my brain. It's just, like, hardwired into my brain. I almost say the co-main event podcast is back in your life. But you know, I don't want to get sued for gimmick infringement. Yeah, no. <laughs> what I always like to to assume when I come in to record the Comedian Event podcast is I like to record it like this is this is going to be the last podcast I'll ever record. The last day of your life. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. You know, I dance like no one's watching. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm Love Chad like Dundas from ESPN.com. That is Ben Folks from MMAfighting.com. Uh, we're back for another week. Surprisingly enough, Ben, at this point, does it start, is it starting to feel to you like we're, we're doing this a lot? Yeah. It's almost starting to feel like a job, like yeah. a terrible shitty job that we don't get paid for. Yeah. Like a job that you do for free. Yeah. As many of us we're in like, the industry But without do. the, the like good feeling that you get from a volunteer position. So I've been told I don't volunteer. I don't helping people is good for people who aren't me. Sure. I don't yeah. do that. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that from you. Uh, we should do the disclaimer. Uh, as always, the, the opinions that we express on this show are the opinions of us. They are ours alone. You should not take them as any reflection whatsoever. Uh, on our employers, ESPN.com and MMAfighting.com, uh, don't, in fact, don't even email them to tell them that we're doing this. Yeah, shh. Let's yeah, keep it between us. Yeah. Look, it'll, it'll be our special secret. Um, and, you know, if you tell anybody about it, we'll fucking kill you. Yeah, it's just How us, man. It's just the three of us. It's just me and Ben and you, and you're on the F train riding through Brooklyn with your headphones on. Just and we're touching to you in your bathing suit area. Yeah, that's how it's going. No, you know, this reminds me, though, Chad, before we get into this, somebody asked me on Twitter, they said they wanted to know if our podcast had any porn on it because it was blocked at their work. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, which led me to, I'm just going to say, an interesting kind of rabbit hole of thought there. Why isn't there any porn on this? That would be so awesome. But I already feel like the podcast is pretty much hot guy on guy action from start to finish, though. Yeah, right? but I'm saying, what if there was like a section where we were just <laughs> like, hey, I never thought it would happen to me. Oh, and God. we just, just like graphic sexual detail about experiences we've had or wished we had. You know, and we just see where it goes. I cannot possibly imagine anything worse than that. That is, I'm horrified now. I can, no. I was going to do the plug for iTunes and Stitcher and. <laughs> well, I think your lack of vision is what's going to kill this podcast. We are up on iTunes. You can check us out there. If you like what you hear, give us a good review. That helps us out. We are also available on Stitcher Radio. If you are a futuristic spaceman who knows what that is and can listen on your, your mobile phone, your iPhone, your Android phone, your transistor radio, your iPad, your iPod, your, what else you got in your fanny pack? Uh. Any, whatever, man. You can listen to us are there. Are they pro wrestlers? Why are they walking around I assume with a fanny most of the people who listen to this podcast are pro wrestlers. Okay. You can check us out there. You can go to the to the 
to the website, comaineventpodcast.com. Is it co-main event podcast or just co-main event? I think it's comaineventpodcast.com. You set up the website. I would expect you to know this stuff. It's comaineventpodcast.com. Yeah, if you have a question for the show, you can email us at, at comaineventpodcast at gmail.com or just head over to the website and hit the handy new link at the That's top right. of the page. Chad put that up there just now. So, you know, it's like uh, we are gradually figuring out how the internet works. You know, it's just taken us a while, but that's the exciting part for you, our listener, I feel, is that you get to witness us embracing yesterday's technology today. Yeah, there's a link at the top of the page. It says email the podcast. If you click it, it will allow you to, oddly enough, email the podcast. And you know, uh, this week, the most interesting thing that we got from the new link, the new email the podcast link... uh, Professional mixed martial arts fighter Danny Boy Down sent us a picture of his cat playing Yahtzee. Well, that is by far the best email we've received to date. And I'm, I'm counting this stuff about, you know, that was alerting us when we had $100,000 in a Nigerian bank somewhere. That was exciting, I thought. You seemed way less enthusiastic about it than I did. Uh, this even beats that, though. Yeah, no, this was awesome. It's, it's Danny Down's cat is apparently a lover of table games. Uh... It's a, it's a cute cat. You know what? I, actually, I just decided while you were talking, instead of us describing the picture of Danny Boy Downs' cat, which I feel like Yahtzee, would be great. That's the be, future of radio. It would be great. People radio. describing photographs. It would be great radio. Instead of doing that, I'm just going to put it on the website. Huh? People can go there wow. and. Uh, Multimedia. That's what this shit is now. Yeah. By the way, uh, I looked up Danny Downs. In addition to writing a preview uh, column kind of thing for UFC.com, which is really well done and entertaining. Uh, Danny Boy Downs has, I believe, a Tumblr account or a blog of some kind. Uh, I don't fuck Google it. I don't know. I'm not gonna tell well, you. I'll, I'll tell you what. This will be synergism. Uh, I'll put up the picture of Danny Boy Downs' cat playing Yahtzee, so we do not have to further describe it. And I will also I'll shoot <laughs> so a link. Cute, though. It is cute. It's a cute picture. I will shoot a link to Danny Boy Downs' Tumblr right there from the website if I can find it. And thus, gradually, the Coman Event Podcast will become Danny Boy Downs' PR team and we'll finally have a, a career worth thinking about here. This is part of the, the genius plan you guys didn't realize that we were going to... This podcast thing was all a ruse. <laughs> all, all a brilliant deception. It was just a viral marketing campaign for <laughs> yes. Danny Downs. Yes. That's what we are at this point. And I feel good about that. That's more than I thought we would accomplish through this. <laughs> uh, but you know what? That's not the only thing we got from the new link. We also got a lot of uh, listener mail questions, and we got some good ones. So we are going to answer those right now before we get into the show proper. Um, the first question, actually, there are two questions that are related, so we're going we're gonna to ask them both at once. I'm going to read them both, and then uh, Ben will, will probably drone on for... What, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before you allow me to speak again? Just read the goddamn uh, The first question is from Jeremy Sexton. Listener Jeremy Sexton. That is an awesome name. And it says, uh, Dr. Johnny Benjamin, an orthopedic surgeon, recently diagnosed Chael Sonnen in an interview as having previously abused steroids. He's never treated him, and he's not an endocrinologist. My question is, dot, 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 what's up with that? Now, question two. I love a question that says, what's up with that? Yeah, and there's an, an ellipses in so there. Because you're basically just making a statement, uh, and you're using the what's up with that to make it seem like a question. Right, and that's, that's a, it's a popular interviewing style. I love it. Uh, 
The second question, which is related to the first, comes from Noah Schaefer. It's a little bit longer. It says, you've taken a pretty strong stance that 99% of TRT is bull Oni. I don't think we ever said 99%, well, go on. Well, he spells it out. He says B-U-L-L dash O-N-E-Y, bull Oni. Oh, I see what he did there. 99% of TRT is bull Oni, specifically calling out Frank Mir as having little claim to legitimacy. Indeed, he isn't far off from his prime and his, from the prime of his life and doesn't have the weight-cutting excuse you attributed to Chael Sonnen. Semicolon. Still, I've heard that there are maybe a link between low T and brain trauma. I'm wondering if you can ask your shadowy endocrinologist source and get straight get a straight answer on whether repeated head trauma, parenthetically like getting punched in the head by Shane Carwin, <laughs> end parentheses, can have an effect on testosterone production. Ben. Okay, uh... First of all, I would like to take the second part of that question first. What was that? Sure, sure. The name? You want me to read the whole thing? No. What was the person's name on the second part? Uh, it is from Noah Schaefer. Noah Schaefer. Okay, Noah Schaefer. I did ask my shadowy endocrinologist about the link between brain trauma and low testosterone. What he told me is that usually that has to be some serious brain trauma. We're talking traumatic brain injury. Uh, and that... When it does happen, uh, testosterone is usually not the only hormone level that is affected. It's not like you just get hit in the head and your testosterone levels go down and everything else is totally the same. Uh, first, like, And we should be stated here that we still don't know as much as we need to about brain injury and about you know the, what happens as a result of concussive and subconcussive blows. Uh, and how that affects the brain and its hormone-producing ability. But uh, generally, he says that it's not an issue where you get hit in the head and your testosterone plummets, but you're otherwise a healthy individual. And hey, man, if you have suffered such brain trauma that you <laughs> have low testosterone because of it, probably time to think about doing something else for a living. Right. I mean, I, mean, I would feel confident that if you go in front of any reputable state athletic commission and tell them, look, I need testosterone. But, you know, it's not because I do steroids. It's because my brain is so damaged. They will tell you, then there's another reason you should not be fighting. So, And, and you know, when we talked earlier about this on the, on the last episode or two episodes ago, I don't know, they run together in my yeah. head at this point. Uh, we talked about how th there's a moral issue at foot when guys who are in their 40s and, and are maybe are getting a little bit older and have naturally low testosterone, you know, there's a moral question there, an ethical question about whether or not those guys should be able to get uh, therapeutic use exemptions to use testosterone just because their testosterone is low. Like, should, should they be able to get that, like, leg up? And I think the same is true for guys who have just been knocked out a lot. It brings up a, right. an ethical question about whether or not you should be able to, uh, to get this supplement, essentially, because, uh, you know, you have low testosterone because of brain trauma. Second of all, the Dr. Johnny Benjamin thing. Um, saw that one kind of blowing up on Twitter today. I read the original interview, though, uh, on bloodyelbow.com where he talks about it. I think it's overstepping a little bit to say that John, Dr. Johnny Benjamin diagnosed Chael Sonnen as, you know, having low testosterone because he abused steroids. The important part of that phrase that he used was, if these guys really do have hypogonadism and really do have, have low testosterone levels, it's more than likely because they abuse steroids. The if there matters because 
He could easily also be trying to say, I don't think these guys do have low testosterone. I think that they're gaming the results, and there's a number of different ways, according to the shadowy endocrinologist, that you can avoid, you, you can go in and, and purposely test for low testosterone levels. Uh, what he's saying is that I don't think these guys could have their like legitimate low testosterone levels unless they brought that on themselves because honestly one of the main signs of low testosterone levels uh, that is manifested physically is that you just don't have the same muscle mass and you just don't you could not develop the kind of body that we have seen Chael Sonnen develop before he says he started using testosterone so. The if, though, is, is what's important. It's, it's not a diagnosis. Just because a doctor says, I think here's what might be happening, it's either one of these two things. Just because he's a doctor doesn't mean anything he says is a diagnosis. So back up on that shit. Yeah, it seems to me like, uh, like Dr. Johnny Benjamin was just sort of saying what we've all been thinking. Yes. Like he was just sort of thinking doing... and saying, yeah. especially on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. He's doing the like eighties comedian thing where he's just saying what we're all, we've all been thinking. I didn't like, he... that's why they call them half shirts, ladies, because only half of y'all should be wearing them. Wow. Just breaking out the prepared material. I watched the BET comic view. I will also say that any lengthy question sent to the podcast should force me to say while reading off the screen the word endocrinologist as much as possible. Because, <laughs> and, uh, should, and should force you to say semicolon yeah, at some point in yeah, there. Yeah, I love Anyway, question number two or three, if you want to be a stickler about it. Uh, this one comes to us from Jonas Nasland. And hey, frankly, a lot of other people, I would say that the most popular or most you know re- rapidly occurring most common question that we got this week was this question. Um, dozens of people, sheer dozens wanted to know. And the question is, who do you guys like as Eric Silva's next opponent? Brenneman had nothing for him, nothing in all caps. Uh, and then uh, Jonas Naslin says, I like Koscheck, but what do you guys think? Koscheck's not a bad idea. I, I would like to see... I mean, then at that point, you're basically saying, how would he do against a better wrestler? Uh, and more experienced fighter. I, I would like to see a Koshek fight. I saw, I think, Josh Gross on Twitter saying, uh, CR Baharadazada, uh, that thank you, I studied for six months in Afghanistan to get my pronunciation for that right. Uh, that would be an interesting fight, although I think he probably already has another fight booked. Uh, you know what? Uh, Mike Pierce. Mike Pierce wants to do this Mike Pierce thing to everybody. Let's see if he could do it to, uh, to Eric Silva. That would be an interesting test. I mean, it might just completely ruin all the the prospect hype behind eric silva i don't know maybe eric silva finds a way to beat his ass too and then you you really have something worth promoting in eric silva it strikes me that right now we are doing the same thing to eric silva that we do to every young hot up-and-coming prospect who comes into the ufc and writers write nice things about him he gets a certain amount of hype behind him and then he wins a couple of fights and we go crazy for him. Everybody wants to know, oh, what's next for this guy? What's next for that guy? He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then as soon as he loses, we're all like, oh, man, I can't believe we ever thought Eric Silva was good. Like, clearly he has this glaring flaw in his arsenal, which was exploited by this opponent. And I can't believe... And which didn't... I alone saw, but yeah. I didn't say anything yeah, about I've been Yeah, I've been doubting on Eric Silva for, for months. So it's... Uh, I, I, would, I would honestly be tempted just to let the UFC matchmakers figure this out because on the first episode of the podcast, we made a hard and fast rule against talking about rankings and talking about fight picks. But this is neither. This is not, neither one of those. No, things. I know. But if I had to pick my third least favorite mixed martial <laughs> arts topic, it would be who's next for fighter X, like insert fighter name. Who's next for that guy? Because we do fourth we, least favorite topic. 
Facial hair. Facial <laughs> We do live chats on ESPN.com. And, man, even before the fights happen, even before, like, a guy goes out and wins, there will be people on there that will be like, man, if Daniel Cormier wins, what's next for him? And it's, and it's just – I just feel like, man, can't we just take a moment? Can't we just take this moment? To no. Like, just one night no. to – the answer to that question is no, All I right. cannot. Well, then I would say uh, Eric Silva has probably earned a shot at someone in the low top tens, maybe a uh, you know a Jake Shields or a John Fitch or, or Koscheck. I like Koscheck. That's a that's a good that's a good option, I think. Yeah, and Koscheck will be enough of an asshole about it where it'll be fun. Yeah, maybe Diego Sanchez. I don't know. He's not in the top ten, but it seems like a fun fight to me. What do we got? What what's next? So... The last question uh, for the night comes from Sean Moore. And it is also a sort of a lengthy one. It's Jesus, a, what is it? I don't know, What man. is it with you people? Do, Maybe I, I'm because gonna, of, I'm assume that we inspire a certain literate kind yeah. of uh, listener. I believe the free-form nature of our podcast <laughs> inspires our readers to also express themselves, which is, which is great, except when I have to read them off the computer while also recording my voice. Uh, Sean Moore says, Dana is always saying that the women's bantamweight division isn't viable because they only have, quote, one-off fights, end quote, and not enough female fighters. The UFC flyweight division has 11 fighters, and the strike force bantamweight division has 14, and they obviously aren't going out, the, out of their way to find female talent at 135 pounds. Most of the women's bantamweight division is fighting in Invicta FC. Do you think it's possible, Sean... Sean Moore works for Invicta FC. He just wanted to get a You're a such a slug. Okay. Most of the uh, women's bantamweight division is fighting. And nobody works for Invicta <laughs> FC. <laughs> is fighting for Invicta FC because they aren't getting fights in strike force, yet Dana couldn't be more happy with the UFC's flyweight division. UFC flyweight division has less depth than the UFC strike or the strike force women's bantamweight division. Yet Dana is persistent that the women's bantamweight division doesn't have enough Man, depth long, to be but... viable. Comma. What gives question mark? Oh, and he ends after all that. We end with what gives. Okay, okay. First of all, though, he makes some good points, but a couple things here. Uh, for one, before we go on and say Dana White couldn't be happier with the UFC's flyweight division, let's take a look at how long it took for that to happen. So it's not as if the UFC was falling all over itself trying to create a flyweight division. That took a while. Uh, however, makes a good point. The criticism is that. Well, the only the the women's division just doesn't have enough fighters. However, you you don't have a problem creating a new division and feeling like we can populate it with fighters. The same might be true of the women's division. If you promoted it, if it seemed to these women like there was a a future there and money to be made there, then maybe more women will pursue it. Maybe you get some of these women who are, you know, in the Olympics and judo and other martial arts who start to think this is an actual viable career path. This is something worth doing. I don't, that's that's a fairly good point, I think. Devil's advocate question, though. Uh, we've known from the start that Dana White has not been a particular fan of what he calls girls fighting. Uh, <laughs> do you think that his saying that there isn't enough talent in the 135-pound women's division is just sort of the brush-off? Do you think it's just sort of like the hi-hat, as you would say, if we were characters in the fabulous Coen Brothers movie, <laughs> Miller's Crossing? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, there is maybe some part of him that thinks, look, I want to be sure that this is legit before I get involved promoting it because I don't want the, the more casual sports fan to look at me as somebody who's doing foxy boxing. 
And I can see maybe why he would right. do and that. Right, yeah, I think that inclination would probably be the proper one. You don't want to get too too far out in the... Yeah, but come on, we don't give a shit what those people think when Noguera gets his arm broken or when there's a bunch of blood on the mat. I mean, that's when we were able to say, hey, this is the sport, this is what, what you got yourself into, fine. I think it should be, be able to say the same when it comes to women's MMA, and I think that there is some depth now in the women's bantamweight. Like, look, in the women's bantamweight division, you've got Ronda Rousey, you got Sarah Kaufman, you got Misha Tate. That's three people right there. That's... That's a start, you know? That, that's a pretty decent start. You, you've got some talent there. If you cultivated it, maybe you'll have a little bit more talent. And you can't tell me that if you put Ronda Rousey uh, versus either Sarah Kaufman or a rematch against Misha Tate, if, if Misha wins a couple fights or something between now and then, you put that fight on Fox, people are going to watch that. Or, or, you know, if Cyborg's able to come back and compete clean and get down to 135 pounds... Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg. Come on, people are going to want to watch, watch that. that. I would actually watch You're that. You're totally going to watch that. Yes, so I, I mean, and I mean, I can see the point is that maybe you look at it and you don't see a whole lot uh, of depth across multiple weight classes right now in the women's division. But the UFC maybe should take a little bit, uh, should take a lead there rather than just waiting for somehow a huge crop of competitive. Uh, female fighters to just materialize and show up all at once on the doorstep. Maybe that's not how it works. Fair points all the way around. That's listener mail for this week. If you have a question for the podcast, uh, you can hit us up at uh, comaineventpodcast at gmail.com or as we said, go to the website and click on the handy new email link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. Uh, send us your questions or send us cute pictures of your pets. Yeah. Because we like that almost as we'll much. Take that, yeah. So, yeah, look for the picture of Danny Boy Downs' cat up on the website <laughs> as soon as we get done with this. Um, but for now, we're going to go ahead and segue straight into round number one. Round one. Friday night from Sunrise, Florida, the UFC staged... UFC on FX3 or 4 or 5 or 3. You know, if they could come up with a more unwieldy and confusing, hard to keep track of name for these. Or do you want them to go back to how they used to do it, where every event had to be named? Yes, I would like this last one to have been UFC high voltage. Cold impact. Yeah. Or something. You know, I don't understand. I mean, for a while they're, and they're still doing this, they were calling the. the pay-per-views by the name of the guys who are fighting, which I thought was a great solution. Blood Brothers. <laughs> well, but now... Heavy you, artillery. You can't even make up a fight poster because whoever you're going to say is fighting is not going to be fighting by the time, which we'll get to in a later round. Good point. That uh-huh. was a solid point by you that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Still, UFC on FX3. I cannot possibly think of a more unwieldy and ridiculous name for a fight card, except for perhaps UFC on Fuel TV. 30. Yeah. No, and you know what? When I was in uh, Stockholm for the uh, the UFC on Fuel event there, uh, locally it was just called UFC Sweden, uh, which seemed to be met with a lot more enthusiasm than UFC on obscure cable channel that you don't really know even how to find, even if you do get it. Uh, number follows here. Yeah. That, that, that's the problem. But anyway... Everything's know, fine, though. Everything... I mean, it's everything's fine. Everything's... It's full speed ahead. Green light <laughs> everywhere. You know, uh, talking about the actual event, uh, it was one of those events where the main card was as good as the prelims were awful. You are making me so mad right now. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> no, come on. 
what do you what do you have to say? No, this. I mean, well, I think we were planning on not talking about this for a few minutes, but oh, here we this go. The, this fight card did nothing for me. I felt no emo- I felt not one single emotion while watching this fight card, except boredom. You're dead inside. Yeah, I'm, I may be. I don't know. I, I just like. I, this to me was just further evidence that the UFC is doing way too many fight shows this year. And I hope that they figure that out. But I will I mean, I went on Josh Gross's podcast earlier this week from ESPN. You're going to come on this podcast and plug other fucking podcasts? That's what you're going to do? As if they, the world wasn't tired enough of hearing me talk. I went on Josh <laughs> Gross's podcast this week. And I, I broached this, tried to broach the subject that the UFC was doing too many shows. And Gross just seemed, I would say, incredulous. It was just like he didn't, he didn't want to hear it. He, he, he repeated several times that he thought the, the sport was fine. And I agree with that. But it, to me, this UFC on FX3 uh, card was just a, a further example of that, man. And this is totally one of those cards that, like, when you look at it, there's no way that this card should be on television. And yet, since the fights proved to be reasonably exciting, I think you're going to get a lot of people being like, well, the, the fight's delivered, so everything is fine. Here's the thing. I would say that, A, the fights did deliver. So, I, don't, I mean... Big deal. <laughs> well, when the fights are fun to watch, the fights are fun to watch. So that that's that. I think the the bigger thing is that because the UFC is doing so many more shows now, and they have and, and so much is on TV. What used to be a prelim is now a main card uh, on cable TV, and what used to be a cable TV main card is now a pay per view main card. And what used you know that kind of like. It's a small dilution, but that's why I think when you watch, like the the prelims for this are on Fuel TV. TV. Like these are basically Facebook prelim quality fights that are on TV, which I think is great. I would much rather watch it on TV than, than watch it on Facebook. But when you're watching them, I mean, especially it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and you're sitting watching these fights and they are not TV quality fights, most of them. And every once in a while there's a good finish or something. Uh, but for the most part, they're guys that just aren't quite at that level yet. There's a reason prelims are prelims. And I get it, you know, the, that's for the hardcores who are going to tune in at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and, and watch Fuel TV. But you see that because there are just so many more fights and there's still not that much more talent than there was, you know, three or four years ago, I think that that's the, what you're seeing. is not that the... It's not just that there are way too many events for people to keep track of, though I think that is a threat uh, on some level. It's that when when everything becomes a TV fight, it kind of loses some of that that specialness, and you see these guys in these fights who, who don't really belong there. Yeah, but Fuel TV couldn't be happier because if you and hey, I turn on our on? televisions to Fuel TV, they double their viewership. And I mean, the fact that I'm even aware of Fuel T- what Fuel TV is is an improvement for them now. So, yeah, no, I'm sure they're happy about it, but. Like the prelims, in general, for that for that for the UFC on FX3 were really really mediocre and boring. And then you turn on the main card, and for the most part, pretty exciting fights, fun fights to watch. It was okay. Oh, okay. But here's the point, though: if those fun fights on FX on a Friday night, right after there were already other fights on a Friday night, and right before there's going to be more fights on a Friday, you know. Once you, if those fights were instead pay-per-view prelims that were shown on FX, that were used to to get some attention geared toward the pay-per-view, 
using those guys as, or if those were, uh, you know, the the fights that we're seeing are just uh, kind of consolidated into mega awesome fight cards rather than a bunch of fight cards that are part mediocre and part pretty cool. That's my point, man. I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that June 22nd, the UFC is doing another UFC on FX card featuring a main event of Gray Maynard versus Clay Guida. And the night after that is the next UFC pay-per-view. Which is a terrible fucking pay-per-view. Let's talk about that for a second. That one, how are you going to get anyone to pay for that? UFC 147, who's paying for that? I don't know, man. Let's, do we even know what the fight card is for that <laughs> That's the thing. Not only do you not really know what the fight card is going to be, but it's the things you do know about it are, huh, I, if, if that was on in the next room, I would, go, I would go watch that. Would I pay $55 to watch that, especially when just a couple weeks later, Chael Sonnen and Anderson Silva are going to go at it? Hell no, I'm not watching that. Hell no. Here's my thing, though, man. Like, what if we just did half as many shows, and then suddenly Eric Silva versus Charlie Brenneman, Demetrius Johnson versus Ian McCall, Martin Campman versus Jake Ellenberger, and Gray Maynard versus Clay Guida were all on the same card. That would be awesome. However, half those guys would get injured, so it wouldn't end up happening. Well, maybe they wouldn't get injured if they didn't have to fight once every two weeks or whatever (laughs) they have to do now. No, I mean, these are valid points. And I think the UFC is, is realizing that. I think this is the year. This is my prediction. This is the year that That was my prediction last week when I was on with Josh Gross. Oh, well, I mean, you can't accuse me of stealing it because there's no way I'm going to listen to your podcast with Josh Gross. Come on. uh, But, no, I think this is the year that they're going to figure out that it's just too much and that they're they're diluting the product uh, by doing so much of these. But you can see how that appeal exists for them, how now they got this Fox deal and there's FX to think about and there's Fuel TV and, you know... I can see why they would be tempted to just do a ton of goddamn events and just try and do one every weekend whenever they can. I just don't think people want that. I don't, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, when I uh, talked to Dana White before the, the Fox, the first Fox event, and I was like, you know, you're asking people to stay home for a lot of Saturday nights. And he was like, well, hey, we ask people to stay home for a lot of NFL too. Well, not really. You don't. You ask them to stay home for NFL on a Sunday afternoon, for one thing, uh, which, or you know, and on Sunday night when they're already tending to be home, and you only do it for part of the year. You'll see. There's just no offseason. It just keeps coming at you, and there's going to be the hardcore fans who who want that, who want, who just can't possibly get enough. But I think you're also going to lose some people who are just, they're not going to keep up with what Clay Guida and Gray Maynard are up How to. How would you even know at this point if you were sort of an armchair fan or this mysterious mainstream fan that we keep hearing about, that we've been hearing about all this year. How would you even know who like was good in the UFC? You would, you would know Anderson Silva. You would know but George St. Pierre. And that's who we're talking about when we talk about that. I mean, think about the Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen pay-per-view. That's one that, that the people who don't, you know, the people who have no clue who Eric Silva is, they know about that one. That's the one where suddenly, you know, you order the pay-per-view and suddenly you have a bunch of friends asking if they can come over and watch it. They're not asking you if they can come over and watch UFC on FX3. You know, they're not asking if they can come over and watch the UFC on... your friends are. (laughs) You know, those are the ones that that people really get up for. Uh, Yeah, but at some point, Eric Silva is going to have to sell a pay-per-view, man, if this thing works out the way they want it to. Yeah, but it's not going to be, you know, two months from now. Well, if you listen to the... MMA fan base it is. Eric Silva's the greatest thing since sliced bread until he loses. I mean, I can't believe we ever thought Eric Silva was good. Anyway, 
I just, I don't know, man. It just seems like there's all these fights and there's all these storylines and these guys who are supposed to be like, in theory, the next generation of stars are being built up on these shows that I'm not sure anyone is watching and or keeping track of. Well, okay, I mean, people are watching, but that's the thing is that when you when you just keep throwing so much stuff at these people, what are the odds that they're going to think, well, there's something worth doing out in the world on Friday night. If I miss this one, fuck it, there'll be another one next Friday night. Or there'll be another one two Friday nights from now. And there'll be another one the day after that. So it, it reduces some of that like special fight night quality. Like I remember when I was in college and the UFC events, you know, it seemed like you'd go like six months between UFC events. I'm sure it wasn't quite like that. But it was, you know, it was like, oh, T. Ortiz is going to fight Ken Shamrock. Like, okay, let's really, let's, let's get together and pool our money on this one and buy the pay-per-view because shit, man, like, if we miss this one, when's the next chance we're going to get to see this stuff? Like, you know, we, when, you're, when you're that age, you can't even think six months down the road. So, like, that, I think, th- there's something to be said for that. Or, like, when you look at boxing, how, like, you know, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather are the only ones who, who move any kind of money, or any kind of numbers. Uh, but, you know, if they fought seven times a year each... It's not going to be as special a thing. I think the UFC has kind of missed out on some of that. I can understand why they've done it. I can understand the what's pulling them away from that. At the same time, though, uh, I think there's going to be consequences of that. Well, we've already gone on too long. Damn but, it. Uh, do you have any discussion of the bantamweight division you want to do in the next, like, two minutes? I know it will be difficult for you to... Flyweight con- division? Is that what we're- flyweight division, yes. Joe Benavidez is going to be the flyweight champ. That's my prediction there. Wow, that was not very concise for you. Yeah. Usually you just go on and on. No, I think Joe, I think it's Joe Benavides and then everybody else in the flyweight division right now. I agree with you, unfortunately. Uh, all right, well, that was that was my complaining. More, Just more complaining from me. I must be Henri this week. I don't know what the deal is, but that was... Yeah, you look terrible. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, that was our discussion of UFC on FX3. Um, we will be back for round number two, but not before... Uh-oh. Your favorite, my favorite... Ben's favorite, and Mr. Nigel Longsock, Sir Nigel Longsock's favorite co-main event podcast feature, Master Tweet Theater, which begins right now. And now, Master Tweet Theater. And now... It's that time again, the segment I'm sure you've all been waiting for, Master Tweet Theater, wherein we bring in noted theatricalist Sir Nigel Longstock, who will read to us some notable tweets from the MMA community, and Chad and I will try and guess the the tweeter in question. Uh, Sir Nigel, welcome back. How how have you been? Good day to you, sir. I am fit as a funiculum. I feel like that's not a phrase. That's something you just made up right My now. My mother said it all the time. Good morning, young Nigel. How are you today? Fit as a funiculum, I trust. <laughs> well, your home life sounds every bit as terrifying as we'd all been led to believe. Before we get started, however, uh, we have a question sent in for you. You know, the, your questions for us is one thing, but somebody sent in a, a question specifically for you. Uh, before we get started with Master Tweet Theater, we thought we might as well hit you with this, see what you had to say. Uh, this question comes to us from Derek Smelzer, who asks, Dear Nigel, who is your favorite fighter in MMA? Dear Nigel. That's what it says. My God, sir. 
What is I I forgot his name. Damn it. Derek Smelzer. Derek Smelzer. You know why I couldn't remember it? Because there is no title at the beginning of <laughs> Derek Smelzer, as opposed to my name, Sir Nigel Longstock. Are you saying you're upset that he did not address you as Dear Sir Nigel? Perhaps Mr. Smelzner enjoys laboring under a common title, but I do not, sir. Well, clearly, and I think uh, we've all learned a valuable lesson here today. Uh, why don't we just skip right past all that and go straight into Master Tweet Theater? What do you got for us today? All right. <clears throat> Our first tweet. How are the fights tonight? Getting ready for Garth Brooks. Can't miss this. It's Garth. Thunder rolls. <laughs> wow. That's... I, I assume that tweet was sent out the night of the UFC on FX event? Yes, the fights tonight, I wow. believe it says. Okay, well, somebody who is in the MMA world cares enough about the fights to ask, but not enough to miss Garth Brooks for it. Um, you know, I'm going to say even though his homeboy was fighting on it, I'm going to go ahead and get crazy and say Donald Cerrone. Chad? Huh. Well, clearly it's somebody who likes country music. Um, that would lead me to think maybe Matt Hughes, although Matt Hughes doesn't tweet that much. So, you know, I'm, I, this is probably wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and guess, since he always comes out to the, to the country music song, There Ain't No Such Thing as Too Much Fun or something like that, I'm going to guess uh, Chael Sonnen. Both fine guesses, but you have forgotten one particular country music enthusiast, Roy Nelson. Oh, oh big Roy country. No, the UFC's biggest country music fan. Thunder rolls indeed. Mm-hmm. All right, what, what's next? All right, our next tweet. <clears throat> Cleaning my room, listening to Seal, one of my all-time favorite artists ever, makes cleaning 1,000 times more enjoyable, lol. Oh, I'm sorry, that... Lol was a, a stage direction. That should, in fact, be makes cleaning 1,000 times more enjoyable. Ah! <laughs> wow. That's the creepiest laugh I've ever heard. Is out that you? Loud. That's you laughing out loud? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I've heard a joke. I, I understand now why you are single, Sir Nigel. Uh, so we're talking somebody who thinks that Seal is a great... I mean, he has like the one song, right? He has more than... Uh, well, okay. Um, so somebody who has not really heard a lot of music, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I guess we're going with here. Um, I'm going to say the white mare, Marius Saromskis. Chad? Wow. I, I, good guess. Offbeat, but I like it. Uh, I'm going to assume that this could not possibly be a male and the... You're sexist. I, You're a disgusting sexist. I guess so. I guess so. Um, so I'm, I'm going to guess Misha Tate. You are correct, sir. Oh, yes. It is, in fact, noted non-male Misha Tate. <laughs> wow, Chad is good at this. All right, what, what's next? <clears throat> the next tweet. I see my life is a great big canvas, and I'm going to throw all the paint on it I can. Wow. Well, I think we can, we can rule out any artists from this one, because that is not how painting works. Uh, however... Somebody who views life as something wherein experience must just be crammed in there without regard for, for weeding anything out in favor of anything else. Uh, basically a crazy person. I'm going to say Junie Browning. Chad? 
wow, is Junie Browning out and uh, in society? Is he in, is he in general population? I don't know. I don't think these things through that, huh. that much. It's interesting. Uh, I am going to guess noted body art enthusiast referee Josh Rosenthal. Huh. That's not a bad guess. Hmm. Sir Fine. Nigel? Fine guesses both, but both as usual wrong. Ah. Once again, we are confronted with the immortal words of the poet Philip Baroni. Philip Baroni again? That's three weeks in a row. Okay, Philip well, Maroney so now, now I feel like it's fairly well established that every master tweet theater, there's yeah. going to be at least one tweet. We from should Philip just Baroni. guess Phil Baroni. Play the play the odds and guess Phil Baroni. Yeah, because I don't think so far in master tweet theater, I don't think either one of us has gotten more than one out of five on any given installment. So at least if you did that, you'd, you'd kind of match up with the average. Uh, wow. All right. But I, I guess, first of all, is that how Phil Baroni thinks painting works? <laughs> that you just, that the idea is to just get as much damn paint on there as possible? Is, is Phil Baroni a, a Jackson Pollock enthusiast? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. All right. Well, I feel like it tells us a lot about the poet, Philip Baroni. Uh, what's next, Sir Nigel? I do think it is safe to assume Baroni is not a formalist. Um, <laughs> our next tweet. <laughs> Gotta be honest. I am jealous of the Xbox sponsorship at Mighty Mouse UFC has going. Is it, is oh, wow, that was abrupt. Okay, yeah. The, the rest well. is inscrutable hashtaggery. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chad, you want to you go first here? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to keep it in the, in the flyway division, which is going to really narrow down my choices. Uh, I'm going to guess John Dodson. Hmm. That's not... I mean, we are, we're talking about a nerd here, kind of, some, but probably a, a video game nerd. And since just a couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with John Dodson about whether or not Usain Bolt would be uh, the scariest zombie ever, uh, and his knowledge of zombies. He used some, some zombie terms that are, I'm sure, known only to like a zombie fiction fans. so he does seem to be that specific type of nerd. Uh, I'm going to go with Tom Lawler. Hmm. Both fine guesses, but both wrong. Oh, damn it. In fact, it is nerds neither John Dodson nor Tom Lawler, but Joe Lauzone. Okay, well, there's a nerd. A lovable nerd. Probably should have known that one. Yeah, that one hurts. What's next? Hmm. Our last and final and also next tweet. (laughs) Spoke with my son. Quote, Dad, you need to practice punching harder. Unquote. Hashtag love that kid. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, I guess you'd hope that you'd love that kid if he was your son. Um, you need to practice punching harder. I guess that's got to be somebody who was on the most recent fights, um, but who either didn't win or didn't didn't finish. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna say somebody who did win but won extremely in extremely boring fashion. I'm gonna say it was Mike Pierce. Well, that would explain the relative good nature of the tweet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of follow your logic. I'm going to go ahead and guess another guy who fought last weekend and say Charlie Brenneman. Both interesting guesses, but in fact, it is noted son lover Scott Jorgensen. Oh. <laughs> Speaking to his son, split decision Jorgensen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess his son actually... Turns out to be a, a pretty adroit analyst there because if he had punched a little harder, maybe he, he would have uh, would have knocked Eddie Wineland out. I'm, well, I guess it looks real easy from the outside, doesn't it, Scott Jorgensen's kid? And a child shall lead them. <laughs> 
Well, thanks, Sir Nigel. We, we always appreciate you stopping by. Uh, what do you got going on that you want to plug here on the podcast? Well, I'm quite happy because this weekend marks the completion of my original screenplay, Andrew Jackson, Werewolf Supervisor, a subject which I believe has not been addressed in any feature film ever made. And this is a, a screenplay that you've completed? Just this weekend. Yeah, and but not sold. Nope, nope, haven't shown it to anyone. Kind of hoping you might read it, actually. <laughs> well... You know, let's put that down. You know, how about this? On your way out, uh, put it on the porch, the front porch, right outside, uh, uncovered. And you know what? Uh, c- the curb is what I meant to say. The, put it on the, the cur- front curb. The curb. That's yes, you, you right, out, of your... right out there. That's, that's where my screenplays go. Your manuscripts to be read. Yeah, that, the that's the pile of them. Uh, you won't see a, an actual pile because yours is the first one. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. So I won't say guarantees, but does increase the odds that it will be read. All right. Well, on the curb, you will find it. <laughs> thank you always, Sir Nigel Longstock, for stopping by. Yeah, thank you. And with that, we're going to go ahead and segue into round two. Two. Mauricio Shogun Hua, as Bruce Buffer likes to say, uh, was recently offered a fight, or so we are told, with UFC newcomer Glover Teixeira, uh, but turned it down. And according to Dana White, who told reporters, Shogun said he would rather be cut then be forced to accept that fight with Teixeira. Uh, an uncommon level, somewhat uncommon level of uh, behind-the-scenes info from the UFC president who tends to like to play it close to the vest when it suits him. But Chad, on this one, uh, claimed that, hey, you know him, he's just an honest guy, and he has to tell it like it is. If you tell him this over the phone, he's going to tell reporters because... The, the constraints of honesty and credibility dictate that he do so. Uh, you buy that for a second, or do you think this is kind of shady, putting Shogun's business in the streets like that and basically saying, Shogun Hua seemed like kind of a pussy here? Uh, I think that the, the, the most important words that you said were, when it suits him. And you know what? Dana White and the UFC, to their credit, I think, have created and, uh, and curated this really almost brilliant image and i say brilliant and that makes me think that most of it was probably an accident (laughs) but uh they've created this image for themselves among a certain percentage of the fan base that they are like a transparent organization and that dana white is this dude who tells the truth telling it like it is telling it like it is he's a straight shooter uh, and and to some people, you know, since he gets on Twitter and he goes back and forth with the fans. And get on the underground. He went on the underground on this when people were saying, hey, why are you putting this shit out there and making Shogun look like a pussy? And he went out there and said, oh, maybe I'll just lie to you guys next time, you bunch of crybabies. He went on the underground and, and said, hey, look, if you got, you know, basically a, you can't handle the truth kind of situation. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that and their Twitter initiative and all of their sort of like uh, accessibility to fans. It, it has created this image for them which is extraordinary that they are this like transparent happy friendly touchy-feely organization loves the fans yeah tells the truth the people's organization and let me preface this by this by saying i think dana white gets gets slammed a lot 
unfairly. And I think that he takes a lot of criticism that he both deserves and sometimes that he doesn't deserve. And that's just what happens when you're the, you know, the top guy in any given industry, especially when you put yourself out there like he does. People are going to, you know, criticize you and sometimes you don't deserve it. But I'm just going to say this. This dude is a fight promoter. That's his job. He's not your friend. He's not a journalist. He's not an arbiter of good taste. Like, this dude is a fight promoter. He's out there to promote fights. He's out there to establish and promote his company line. And he's out there to, to like, promote the UFC, man. So for anyone to think that the UFC and Dana White, like, are, are giving you the straight dope at any one time, like, only when it suits them, man. Sometimes, for instance, on this exact same, like, when Ariel Helwani uh, is interviewing Dana on the Shogun thing, and that's when Dana's saying, like, hey, you know, this is what he said. Uh, don't don't say it to me if you don't want that shit to get out there. Then, when Ariel says, hey, how did that meeting with Brock Lesnar go? And Dana says, it went badly. And he's like, really? What happened? It went badly. It was a horrible meeting. Like, he's not so bound by the constraints of honesty that he feels compelled to tell us exactly what was said in the Brock Lesnar uh, conversation. Like that one, he can, you know, he can play that one a little closer to the vest and it doesn't feel wrong to him somehow. However, if Shogun says, hey, I don't want to fight Glover Teixeira, his hands are tied. He's got to tell us. He's got to tell everybody that that's exactly what Shogun... I mean, he go, he'll go back and forth on this and want things one way and then want them the other way. Where, like, when he tells us, you have no idea the amount of bullshit that, that I put up with and that I deal with. I believe that. I believe we do not know the full extent of the bullshit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but you can't do that. And then, within a matter of weeks, turn right around and say, well, hey, I've got to tell people... What's going on? Don't I? How could I possibly lie to you guys? I wouldn't lie to you guys. He has told us. I've been in media scrums before where Dana White has said, like, look, if you ask me about these certain things, I will lie to you on them. Just because that's my job. Like, as a fight promoter, there's, I can't tell you everything. And that's reasonable. You just can't hide behind it when it suits you and say, well, I, I, hey, man, I'm honest. I tell the truth. Well, you're honest when it helps you. And that's what the UFC is doing here with the Shogun thing. There's, that message is picked up by all the other fighters that if you turn down a fight that you don't think is advantageous to you for one reason or another, the UFC is not above putting your shit out in the press. Um, right. And we will love that. The, the press, will we love as much information as we can possibly get. Right, but here's the most ironic part about that whole statement, was the part where Dana said, you know, don't say it to me on the phone if you don't want it to go public. Which to me, just I read that and I was like, oh man, how ironic. In an industry where when the topic of the media comes up, we have an almost industry-wide misunderstanding of what the media does and what its role is. And I, wasn't it just like a, a couple months ago that Dana was saying that like he had had a conversation with someone who was off the record that was off the record and then it came out and he was mad about it? Yeah, it was. he said it was with John Morgan for MMA Junkie about the, the Showtime thing, which, I mean, John Morgan comes up to you over the recorder. You know, hey, you know what the hell that conversation a, here's is. Here's a tip everyone <laughs> if there's something that you don't want to go in the press don't say it to a reporter yeah don't say it on the phone to a reporter don't say it to a reporter in person don't say it at a press conference well i mean this is something i think though that like and i've noticed this with fighters and mma personalities and trainers and all that kind of stuff is that sometimes it's almost as if they think that we're talking to them because they just want to talk 
Yeah, like because we just want to be like, "What's up?" And yeah. like, like we just we want to know stuff just to know. No, this is our job. You know, information is a commodity to us, uh, and you know, it's it's no use if we just stick it in our pocket and don't use it. So, of course, if, if we're asking you questions and trying to get you to answer them, it's because we want to tell other people about it, because that is what we do. You, if you definitely do not want anybody to hear about it, probably shouldn't say it. If you do say it, you should at least be really explicit about making sure that we both understand that that's off the record. It's not the reporter's responsibility after every sentence you say to say, is that on the record? Uh, there's some understanding that oh, if he, oh, he's well, sending the holder hey, the recorder. Hey, hey, let's just say this. You know who controls the record? The reporter. <laughs> not the source. Saying stuff is off the record is like calling time in baseball. A baseball player cannot call time. A baseball player has to ask the umpire for time. And most of the time, an umpire will grant that. But the, it's totally in the umpire's discretion to say no. The same is true of the record. Yeah, like uh, somebody says something is off the record to you, you can tell them no. You can decide later no. You don't have to ask them. <laughs> if they say it to you while you're interviewing them and it's on, it's on a re- your recorder and you have it, print it. I mean, you wouldn't want to because you'd be kind of a dirtbag, but like, that's, that's <laughs> well, up to okay, you, man. I feel, I that's your like... discretion as a reporter. You control the record, not the source. I feel like we're drifting out to sea here, though, on this Absolutely, one. but I just got, I was yeah, mad. No, I, I fired love, up. I love, I love when the, the journalism major Sometimes in Sometimes my journalism comes degree comes knocking. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's so fun. Uh, but this is, this kind of, and we've seen this once or twice before where the UFC, you know, a guy is offered a fight and turns it down. Um, that suddenly when these backroom negotiations, suddenly the UFC does not have a big problem with that stuff becoming public. Then it's, that stuff gets fed to the press really quickly. Like, hey, you want to know who turned this fight down? I can't wait to tell you. Uh, <laughs> because, it, I mean, it puts, and it's smart from their perspective because it puts it, it, it's leverage on the fighters. Hey, if you turn, because you know how these fighters are. Personally, if I was a fighter, here's probably a big reason why I am not a fighter and could never be a fighter. Oh, and that and this in basic toughness, I assume. But <laughs> and athletic ability. Uh, yeah. Um, but I would have no problem being like, hey, yeah, I didn't think that. That's not a good fight for Shogun. I would turn that fight Dude, down if you're a if professional I'm athlete and not a warrior or whatever. Like turning down that's fights bullshit. totally makes sense. Yeah, no. You should do it. Yeah. You should turn down fights. Especially if you're Shogun and they want you to fight Glover Teixeira. Yeah, because what are you going to gain if you're Shogun in that situation? You're going to, what, the same paycheck that you would get for, for beating up Brandon Vera. You know, you, it's not, you just lost, so it's not like you're going to get back to a, a title shot anytime. And if you do get back to a title shot, John Jones is just going to beat you wor- up worse than he did the first time. There's not a whole lot for him to gain. Why does he want to? That's a tough, tough fight with not a lot what, of upside. What do you think would happen if they offer a Glover Teixeira fight to Dan Henderson? Or, you know, Forrest Griffin or any of these other... Dan Henderson wouldn't take that. Absolutely wouldn't take it. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Well, and you know what? I've talked to managers before who have said that the UFC, you know, had, had will come to them and say, hey, how, what do you think about this fight for this guy? And the managers who are emotionally divorced from the situation a little more and don't feel like their manhood is at stake and be like, we don't like that fight, you know, offer us something else. And sometimes the, they'll say, you know, the UFC gives you A, B, or C. Sometimes they give you A, B. Sometimes it's just A. Uh, and you, you take it or leave it. And depending on where your guy's footing is and, and you know how, how solid he is there, he, he can kind of decide what to do. But when the manager says, we don't like it, that's when the UFC can always call up the fighter himself and be like, hey man, what's up with your manager? He doesn't seem to think you can win this fight. And more often than not, you know, the fighters, in order to be a fighter, you have to think that you can beat the hell out of everybody. Uh, and you can't. 
Most, <laughs> you know, you would be the world champion if you could. Most of those yeah, guys, but every every fighter is just about to be the world champion. Yeah, yeah. As you well know, every fighter is. Things are about to change, just and like life is going to be different. Every right around the middle, low-income is person champion. is just about to be rich. Yeah, no, I, I know how that goes. At the same time, I, like, I don't blame Shogun for turning down that fight. It's a little bit shady of the yeah. UFC for, to, to, to put that shit out in the streets. But if that's going to be the way it works, then fine, that's the way it works. Uh, however, the, we should all pause a second, especially the fans, the, the internet message boards fans who want to rush and be like, Suddenly Shogun's a pussy. He's Shogun fucking Hua. Look at that man's record and tell me that, you know, he he doesn't want to fight people. Wow, he are, does. Pe- are people saying that? That's ridiculous. Well, of course people are going to say that. People, you know, you you have pointed this out to me before where MMA fans are the quickest, especially, you know, if it's a groin shot or an eye poke, MMA fans are the quickest to assume that MMA fighters are pussies somehow. As if they are not, by virtue of being known to us, already proven to be tough bastards. Right, yeah. I guess that sounds like something I could have said in the past. Yes. Um, should we move on? I feel yeah, like we're already let's, going let's too go ahead. I won't just want to say as an aside, when did Glover Tashira become a murderer? Yeah, like, well, I still remember Glover Tashira as the dude we both saw get beat up by Ed Herman. His last loss. Yeah. We were no, there. I know. I know. Yeah. We were there. Mount Hood Community College. Uh, for the record, neither one of us were students at Mount Hood Community College, but we had driven from Missoula to Portland to watch Sport Fight. Uh a real a rogues gallery. Totally worth it. It was totally worth it. Yeah, I had a great time. Anyway, go ahead. Introduce the new the new the segment. new segment. Uh, this time we we might come back to the the well rounded listener for those of you who enjoyed that. Um, however, this new segment is called "Are You Fucking Kidding Me?" In which uh, we pretty much just ask if people are fucking kidding us. Chad, I'm going to start this one. Give people I think idea. this is going to be the only one, right? We're just going to do one? <laughs> Give people an idea how it's going to go. I'm going to say to the Florida State Boxing Commission that's o- that oversaw the UFC on FX3 event in Sunrise, Florida. Are you fucking kidding me? You have this event where your refs don't even seem to know the rules. They're telling guys to get their foot off the fence as if that's somehow illegal. A guy lands two illegal knees in a fight, doesn't get a point deducted. Uh, during the Demetrius Johnson-Ian McCall fight after the end of the third round, the ref seems adamant about keeping people out of the cage, even though there's no reason for that, because either there's another round or there's not. Uh, the judges at one point scored that Mike Pierce uh, wrote a fight, which was pretty obvious uh, in favor of Mike Pierce. Somebody scored at 30-27 the other way. All this kind of weird shit happening on one event... They also had weird weigh-ins where they couldn't seem to figure out their own scale. Come on, Florida State Boxing Commission? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, but are you surprised, really? I mean, to me, it sort of reinforces the idea that athletic commissions are not the government. Like, if you're not talking about Nevada or maybe New Jersey, athletic commissions are poorly funded lunch groups of guys who get together once a month and smoke cigars like do you think any of the floor that sounds awesome actually yeah no yeah you put it like yeah that. absolutely i, I want to be an athletic, athletic commission member one day montana think, state athletic commission do you think yeah, i think it's, get on that? it just started just now <laughs> do you think how many wait wait let so me are you saying they are fucking kidding me or not fucking kidding me they are they're not fucking kidding you but they wow. but at the same time they are probably a joke because let huh. me ask you how many full-time employees do you envision in your mind the Florida State Athletic Commission has? Three. Yeah, I would be surprised if they have more than three. And yet they're the government. They're, they're terrifying. They're the government. The government. We've we heard. can't do anything about the government. We've heard. 
Anyway, I like this. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. That's all we're going to do, right? Because I don't, I don't have one. I okay, need. well, then I guess we're moving right on to round three. All right, round three. It starts right about now. Round three. Round three. Remember that injury bug? The rash of sudden injuries that beset the UFC in the fall of 2009, causing the UFC to have lower than expected pay-per-view numbers and causing a, a, a an avalanche of, of shuffled cards and revamped shows. It sort of never stopped, as evidenced this week by the fact that who pulled out this week? Michael Bisping got hurt. Michael Bisping and Jose Brian Aldo. Stan. Brian Stan. Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo. Uh, yeah. First of all, was it fall of 2009 that that was? I think that weren't there. I mean, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think there was a ton of injuries in 2009 where we were like, oh man, this is weird. And then the same thing happened in 2010 where yeah. there was just a, a, a spat of injuries that. Ah, wow. It's crazy that time just flies right on by. Um, okay. Obviously, especially lately, it seems like uh, so many guys are getting injured that, I mean, how do you even sell tickets to these fights? When you tell me somebody's going to be there, that this is going to be the main event, uh, at this point, how can I believe you? How can I believe you until I see them actually in the cage? So that's a concern right away for the UFC. But second of all, why? Why is this happening? Why, why can these guys not seem to stay healthy enough to actually get from training camp to fight night? Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think, in my opinion, I think we touched on it earlier. I think it has to do with the increased schedule. I think... I mean, these guys are athletes, man, they're, and they're not superhuman. I think if at, at, the more and more that you ratchet up the expectations on their workload, I think that, you know, guys are going to train more and more, and they're going to get injured more often. But are they being asked, like, are the individual guys being asked to fight more? Than, well, we would have to do a scientific study. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be finding I out. I think they are. I mean, don't, don't you think that the average UFC guy fights more? Like, obviously, the champions, like Anderson Silva fights once every three years, and George, George St. Pierre is well, like Jose Aldo, like, this not, you know, not an undue request on his time. Or a guy like uh, Bisping, even. Like, wouldn't Bisping fight last in, in January? You know, here we are in June, uh, and he's had to pull out. Like, I don't think you can say that that's just the increased schedule that they're, because they're more Well, well I mean, what else could it be? Do you think that guys are just flat pulling out more now than they used to? Do you think that in, like, 2003 or 2005 that we would have a Chuck Liddell scenario on our hands where... Where guys were fighting Tito Ortiz and I, Randy Couture with blown out knees, or I think part of it is that they are the the quality just of, of athlete in the gym is better all around now. They're fighting a lot of guys, a lot of really tough guys, just in sparring. It's not the kind of thing it was where like you know you'd have a gym that had two good guys or one good guy and he's just beating the shit out of everybody for his entire training camp. I think that's part of it. Uh, I mean, that's the part that I really don't know how you fix. You know, like in boxing where you have, like, paid sparring partners come in there um, to take just enough of a beating to get their money and then get out of there. I don't know if you... MMA seems to draw on that, like, kind of wrestling team structure a little bit more. So, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be as easy to fix that kind of stuff. Well, Here's the thing, though. You... I want to I get at this first. Because I hear this all the time on Twitter. We hear from people who send in, like, you know, mailbag emails. There seems to be this enduring perception that the problem is that ever since the UFC started offer, offering health insurance to the fighters, 
you know, in training, not just like we'll fix whatever you get injured on fight night, but, you know, we'll offer you some health coverage throughout the year. Uh, that ever since that happened, guys are pulling out more. That is bullshit. That's obviously bullshit. I don't think you can make a strong argument that that is what is causing this stuff. I, Because th- these guys, if you pull out of a fight and you go and you have knee surgery or you have so- shoulder surgery or whatever, you're not getting paid. It, like The UFC will pay for that surgery, sure, but these guys rely on a couple lump sum payments a, a few times a year when they fight through sponsorships and through fight purses and bonuses and stuff like that. That's what they get by on. If you take that stuff away from them, they're not making any money. They're, they're not making a living. They know that they only have so many years of profitability in this. They would rather fight than not fight. It's not like guys are going to be like, man, let me look for an opportunity to sit out here with surgery. I can catch up on my daytime TV, on my, my soaps, watch my stories. Wait wait a second. You're telling me that when a UFC fighter has to take six months off, he doesn't just draw on his life insurance or yeah. <laughs> uh, take a pull out of his 401k or his, his Roth IRA? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's this perception that these guys, that before somehow they were only fighting because then they could get surgery. Like that, that's not why you get into this. And hey, man, if if the truth is that guys are pulling out because now they have health insurance, good. Like, I'm glad that they have health insurance and they're pulling out because of it, man. I couldn't be happier for them. It would be a crime if a multi-billion dollar company, the UFC, wasn't offering its employees, its athletes, the, guy who's go, the guys who go out there and sweat and bleed on each other and, and essentially earn the money for the company if they weren't offering those guys some kind of... Uh, you know, safety net for them when they get hurt. Okay, and that's true. I, I agree with you on that. But at a certain point with, like, let's say that this trend continues as it is now. Let's say it's not a bug. Let's say it's, you know, the new normal. It is the new normal. <laughs> okay, I, think well, we're at, I think we're beyond that point. But, okay, how bad does it have to get before it's a, like, imagine this. Imagine, and we've already heard these kind of rumors circulating, but imagine, you know, tomorrow Anderson Silva's like, yep, I'm out of that chill zone fight. I'm out for six months, surgery on whatever. Uh, I mean, how many more of those do you need before a lot of people are just like, oh man, screw it. Like, it's not worth following this stuff if the fights I want to see never happen. I mean, that's when, when I was in college and I was a huge boxing fan, that was the thing that eventually got me off boxing was that the fights you wanted to see in boxing just didn't seem to happen. And it seemed to, you know, you had to move heaven and earth to get those fights to happen. If that kind of stuff happens, but for a different reason now in MMA because of just all the injuries, you know... That's got to be bad for the sport at a certain point. Yeah, it is bad for the sport. I would say that the probably the number one threat to the continued success of MMA is performance-enhancing drugs. The number two threat is probably injuries. Do you think those two are connected? Wow. Um, maybe. I don't know. Explain. You seem like that was a loaded question. Like you, like you already have the well, answer. Well, like... If look, if you're fighting, if, if you there you are, you're you're loaded up on testosterone, so maybe you know you're not feeling. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having testosterone all throughout your training camp, right? You recover faster. You don't feel as run down by training two or three times a day. And then you're in there in the gym mixing it up with a bunch of dudes who are also on testosterone. I mean, testosterone might make you feel better and maybe the, the aches and the pains and the soreness doesn't get to you. It doesn't make your knee ligaments stronger. You know, it doesn't make your, your shoulder joints, like, you know, any better. You're still as apt to injure that kind of stuff as you were before. Maybe more so if you're going up against a bunch of other guys who are doing it and if, you know, you're you're doing stuff that is allowing you not to pay attention to your body's normal cues on that stuff. So you just floated the hypothesis that guys are gassed up, they're they're all up on the roids, 
and the and the TRT. I did not. I did not and so I'm merely merely asking the question of you, Chad. Dennis. I don't know, man. I think it's interesting. I think that like it's probably. I think it's probably all connected. I think it's probably the schedule. I think it's probably the the increased competition in the gym, as you pointed out. I think it's probably that guys feel safer now to pull out of a fight, whereas back in the blood and guts day, this the Wild West days of MMA, they probably would have gone through with the fight. Um, I think it's probably, a, a, you know, a, a, an amalgamation of all of those things. And, and frankly, I don't know what you do to stop it. Because uh, as you said earlier, it would be hard to, uh, it would be hard to change the way everyone trains, but I feel like it would also be hard at this point for the UFC to ratchet back their schedule because they have 300 guys under contract and all those guys need to have fights and they've got a deal with Fuel TV and they've got a deal with FX and they've got a deal with Fox and they have to do their pay-per-views. So at this point, man, the snowball's rolling and I don't know what you do to, uh, to slow it down. So hopefully it doesn't get to the point where it, 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 where the young Ben folks out there who's in college doesn't just get fed up with the sport because of too many injuries, the matchups that he that he wants to see can't happen. And it's a sad, bleak future for the sport, man. Yeah, that that poor, poor young Ben Folks who's out there in college. He's got to stick with your studies there because you're not you're not getting by on your your looks or your athletic ability. Well, I feel like we're really going to end this show on a low note, man. I feel like <laughs> it's like we just emotionally we kind of ground to a halt there. Well, you know what? Of. I'm I'm not going to sit here and act like you're just aggressive apathy. Uh, <laughs> Did not have, or, or as I as I believe one University of Montana professor put it once, an aggressive indifference. Uh, talking about you, Chad Dundas. Yeah, but I'm not indifferent. I love the sport. That's why I'm going broke covering it. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. You should really, you, you should consider law school or something. Yeah, no, yeah, that worked out for my wife. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. To not to, to avoid ending the the show on a depressing note, let's let's do uh, let's wrap it up with just saying stuff. Oh, everybody loves this, just saying stuff. This is the part of the show where Ben and I both make a a, st- a single statement. We both say something uh, that we are not asked to then defend and or back up with evidence in any way because we are just saying stuff. You want to go first here? Sure, man. I'll go first. Uh, my Manny or my just saying stuff this week is Manny Pacquiao. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Oh, wow. Just saying. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I like what you did there. My just saying stuff, we talked earlier about what a dismal card UFC 147 is and how bleak its pay-per-view prospects are. All I'm saying is UFC 147, if you beat a live stream pay-per-view from Kazakhstan with Bob Sapp as the headliner. Call it a successful night. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. That's the uh, fourth episode of the podcast. We will be back next week. What are we going to talk about next week? Do we know? There's, this is one of those weird weekends where there's no show. I find I, I feel very confident that we will come up with some shit. We will to talk find about. stuff to talk about. Hey, and don't don't worry. There's a fight on. There's the UFC on FX again next Friday night, and then the UFC 147. Yeah, the right night after. after. The yeah, night after. So in case you have plenty, nothing to do. Plenty of that preview weekend. there. Yeah. And then when it's over, we can talk about how terrible it was. <laughs> You'll wow. love it. I feel like you just needled me with that. I will be in a better mood next week. That's the show for this week. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Fultz. We're done. We're out. We're out. We're through. I tried to think of a different thing to say there because I understand we're out. It seemed a little like 90s to me in a way. We're still 
we're in the growing process. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll get a we'll get an outro figured out.